With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, every inning, he looked like he was walking off from a 16-hour shift. Ends up calling me back. I'd been trying to get him. And he ends up calling me back during the Ross Atkins news conference. You read Luke's question. You said, pound sign, pay Jose. <laughs> Show your age there, Greg. <laughs> And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number eight, where every call to the bullpen is a wrong number. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined tonight by Chris Sherwin. Hello, Chris. Hello, Greg. And my usual friend, Josh Housem. I'm not going to ask how you're doing tonight, Josh. Appreciate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is... Thursday night, as we usually record, uh, the Blue Jays have just finished a three-win, four-loss road trip. So we're going to talk about that, um, some stuff that happened with a difficult-to-manage bullpen, apparently, some impressive starting pitching, Justin Smoke's extremely weird streak ending, a uh, big hole in the lineup right after you finish up with Jose Bautista. Uh, we have an interview with Shai Davidi talking about his new book, 50 Great Moments in Blue Jays History. And then we have listener questions because we like answering those. And we do have a do-over from a famous radio personality in Toronto who is... Uh, I don't think we've ever actually given him a do-over before, have we? No, I don't think so. No, no. All right. First things first, the road trip is over. Thank 
goodness. Um, where, where, <laughs> well, I, I, the home performance wasn't much better. <laughs> I don't know if it really means a whole lot. I just, uh, I don't know. Outdoor ballparks on cold nights make me feel ugh, uh when the Jays lose. So I, I prefer the the friendly confines, even if they uh, didn't do so great either. So they managed to split in Boston. Let's start with the good news. And they even won the Patriots Day game. That's... And they managed to split after losing the first two, which is better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they did it with David Ortiz as the potential winning run. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? Which, how exciting <laughs> was that game, by the way, in mid-April, edge of your seat in the middle of the afternoon on a Monday? Uh, well, if you hadn't added in the edge of your, uh, the middle of the afternoon on the Monday, you would have just described every freaking game. <laughs> yeah. That's I think that's the problem right now is if the Jays were getting soundly beat, we wouldn't be quite as, I don't know, uptight about it. Or if they were winning a few laughers, it'd be like, yeah, it comes, it goes. But they just haven't had a single enjoyable game to watch yet. No, their the nails have been bitten down to the very stump <laughs> every night. I mean, this is a team that should be the most fun to watch in baseball with all the sluggers that it's supposed to have. And yes. it's not. I mean, it's just like every game is you're just sitting there worried of what's going to go wrong this time. Angst, I think, is the word, is it not? Yeah, I agree. And then you're right. Like if there's a blowout here or there, it would probably help a whole lot. But it hasn't happened. <laughs> so part of that has been an unusual trip down bullpen usage lane with John Gibbons, who appears to be playing, in my opinion, with a whole lot more information than we have about who's usable on a given night and who isn't I, I we we were told this there's so many examples we found out later that Roberto Osuna was bleeding during the second last game of the Boston series from a blister on his hand and that's why he couldn't come in in the last game but we didn't when find Drew, that Drew out and made it interesting yeah until Storen almost threw it in the fire um and then Jesse Chavez back has locked up but he said pre-game he was good to go that was up to Gibby but a situation tonight where you might have wanted to use him instead of Vendetti he never showed up um and then things didn't line up that were Storin and Osuna ever warming tonight no no they were not and the the interesting thing there is like was one of them not available again uh I mean there's no reason that Venditti should have started the seventh. No. In a two to one game, it should have gone Cecil Osuna store or Cecil Store and Osuna or Store and Cecil Osuna. It doesn't really matter. But they brought Venditti back out, gave up the bases loaded, and of course Cecil couldn't get out of that. I mean, he get, he did well to minimize it to a run. Even Cecil was confused by Gibbons tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Yeah. Now? Really? <laughs> well, it just I don't understand why Drew Storen would not be available. I mean, we were told actually Osuna wouldn't be available for the first game of the series and he pitched four outs. I don't... So they're playing with six pitchers, but maybe it's really five pitchers? But we don't... I mean, we knew Gavin Floyd was out of gas after two innings last night, which were good two innings. Yeah, he's been really good. <sighs> I don't even yeah. know where we're going with all this. It's just confusing. It's like... Well, I just like I'm. I'm wondering. Is it was, was 
uh, Drew Storen not available for this game because he'd only pitched yesterday or we're recording Thursday. He only pitched Wednesday and Monday. So there's no reason he shouldn't have been available today on Thursday. Curious. Maybe we'll hear after this game. I think part of that is is um, it puts pressure on on those guys who are available in the bullpen. It seems like that they know they're in there for a whole inning because there's nobody else to come in and bail them out if things start off badly. Also, not having a second lefty in the bullpen is kind of not the way John Gibbons usually gets to play it. Well, he sort of does. <sighs> well, yes. <laughs> He has Venditti. He doesn't use him like a a lefty, though, does he? No, no. He's using well. He's using Venditti the way he should be using him, which is for everybody. Mm-hmm. But he uses Cecil for everybody too. I guess I'm. You know, you're sort of expecting that guy to come in and get the big lefty. Yeah, it doesn't happen because it's just not lined up that way. Have we actually made a conclusion about the bullpen usage yet? But well, the the conclusion we've made is that there can't be one. I think. All right, that's fair. So that means that all of this focuses on the bullpen because starting pitching has been really, really good and gotten into the mid to late innings with a lead a lot. Yeah. Hey, Chris, you want to you wanna talk about the pitching a little bit? I would love to. <laughs> if I've seen more than one game. <laughs> well, talk I, I about Marco Estrada. A very interesting comment, actually, about the Jays' pitching staff is I believe, going into tonight, Marcus Stroman had the second-worst ERA of the staff. I believe that, 100%. Yeah, the way... Yeah, behind Dickey. Yeah, I mean, the way happened and Sanchez has been pitching, that's not a surprise at all. Even Estrada tonight, I mean, you know, he didn't he didn't go too deep into the game. He only gave up a run and he didn't he didn't even look that great tonight, but he battled his butt off tonight. I mean, he looked amazing at some getting out of uh jams tonight. It was actually I I was enjoyable for me to watch because I think I understand the the battle of the pitcher and catcher and whatnot, but uh it, it was tough to watch here and there, but here and there I was satisfied. He looked <laughs> gutted every single time yeah. he walked off that mound like that he was had, enjoyable to me <laughs> he threw his life away chris is a sadist <laughs> <laughs> come on can't, you can't tell me that's not josh is saying it's that the games haven't been entertaining that was exciting for me oh my goodness oh, that, not me i mean i'm the biggest Estrada <laughs> fan in the world and that was hard nothing was working honestly I, I I don't talk about my tweets at great length, but I tweeted out it only took Marco Estrada four thousand two hundred and fifteen tweets or four pitches, pitches <laughs> to retire the side that inning. And like fifteen people liked it because everybody was thinking the same thing. It's like, my God, how much effort was that to get just three freaking outs? Well, every inning, he looked like he was walking off from a 16-hour shift. Like, <laughs> yes. every single inning. He he had the rare game where you have an ERA that is lower than your whip. Ooh. Yeah. His whip for the game was 2. <laughs> His ERA for the game was 1.8. That's hard to do for a starting pitcher. Oh, the struggle is real. It's a sharp contrast to Aaron Sanchez. So sharp. Who seems to be completely baffling hitters this year? He's been—I mean, he's been as good as any pitcher in baseball, I think. In terms of um, 
commanding his stuff and and getting done what he wants to get done and not giving up other than what two home runs he's given up other than those mistakes it's it's impossible to find a, a sharp line drive given up by him it's everything is looped or grounded or topped uh, topped it's like it's un- unbelievable so it's been a pleasure that's the kind of thing I like to watch, Chris. Not Marco Estrada's near-death experience. <laughs> well, I'm a sadist, as, as Josh said. So true, you know, true enough. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean Estrada or Sanchez. He just got me back on Estrada again. Yep. <laughs> the pain uh, is real. Yes, exactly. No, but Sanchez was for the last few games. I mean, all three stars. He's been what everyone hoped he could be. He's walking a couple guys, but he's missing bats and striking people out. And if he's doing that, he can walk three, four guys a game, and it's not really going to matter. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a caper, he has a caper nine of uh, 9.0 right now. Yeah, three exactly. Yeah. And he's just throwing that nasty, nasty fastball. He threw that one pitch to Travis Shaw. We, I included it in our rotation review. It was one of the most unhittable pitches I've ever seen. It's 98.7 miles an, miles an hour with nine inches of break back towards the plate on the black at the letters. Jay, yep. Barry Bonds in his prime couldn't hit that, or <laughs> I guess his prime was not really a prime. But Barry Bonds in in the, in the early two thousands couldn't hit that pitch. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you call Barry Bonds' period of really goodness. Yeah, um, his second. Well, prime. I guess technically you call it his whole career. Uh, so there, there are two first basemen on this club, and we nice have a transition. Question. Yeah, we have a, It's completely random. Have we have we talked enough about the lovely starting pitching? Yeah, we can we can move on. There are two first basemen on this club. Thank you. I'm not going to talk about one because we have a question about one of them. Although it's a brief question. I'm going to talk about Justin Smoke. Speaking of weirdness, as the bullpen has been strange, so Justin Smoke has been that much stranger until tonight. Tonight, Justin Smoke hit a baseball in play and he got out. He yeah. set some sort of record of, of number of, of uh, plate appearances he, with a batting average on balls of play of 1,000. He oh. did, yeah. Judge Shai Davidi, our guest for later on in this episode, tweeted out that he had he was the first player ever to go 16 plate appearances into a season with a batting average on balls in play of 1,000. And then he actually went one more before <laughs> it ended. Um, I know that's all just a fluke, obviously. In terms of the the balls in play, I get that. The part that is just amazing to me is how much this guy has walked and struck out without making <laughs> any contact at all, and yet they have not. That they keep walking him. Like I don't get you it. Just throw him <laughs> balls over the plate until he shows he can actually hit them. <laughs> yeah. How does that happen with it? Like. <sighs> I don't understand. Just Greg is baffled, clearly. Give him a meatball or two. I'm sure something will happen there as opposed to working him for, you know, four or five pitches. Like, does he literally swing? Well, I know he's been swinging his stuff in the zone and missing it, which is also kind of strange. Well, so, yeah, and he's not alone there, but. <laughs> well, yeah. So he sees it coming, but he misses it anyway. Is, is Justice Smoke really this bad? Like, has he gotten worse? Chris? No, I don't think he's gotten worse. And by the way, his his Babbitt against lefties remains a thousand. <laughs> so there's still <laughs> No, against righties. <laughs> against righties, righties. sorry. As a, lefty. As a lefty, 
<laughs> Still a thousand. <laughs> It's Which, not completely dead yet, guys. No, the weirdness is alive. Okay, <laughs> fine, sure. Now he's also done that without a home run, right? Yes, he has. Which doesn't count. He has here. three balls at four. Well, now he has four balls in play. So his batting average is seven fifty when he when he makes contact. Yeah, but he strikes out like sixty percent of the time and walks forty percent or thirty something percent of the time. Yeah, it's insane. It's obviously you no, know, it's a joke and it's completely unsustainable, but. At some point, he's got to hit the ball, right? You would With think. I would think more so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, that's been the problem, of course, you alluded to. He's not the only guy who can't hit the ball. Specifically, I'm thinking Tulowitzki and Russell Martin can't hit the ball. Oof. No, no. Tulowitzki started to get a little bit better. True. He hit a ball to the warning track tonight that I thought maybe was going to be an opposite field homer on on a breezier night. Yeah, and he hit a few in Boston that looked opposite like they were... Field? No, it was pulled. Sorry. Yeah. It was left. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. yeah. Got, uh, the ball might have gone out if not for Joey Rickard, but it was it was not like, a, oh my God, he robbed him. The ball should have been caught. Yeah. Tula Whiskey's approach is kind of baffling recently you'll you'll see like the typical Tulowitzki approach where he is patient and he looks like he you know he's taking deep into counts and all of a sudden he just falls apart with two strikes and he starts looking like Kevin Pillar uh and it's 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 odd like he still has like a 13 percent walk rate but he's hitting like a buck 60 or something uh, and it's just so strange that he's I, I think I, I looked it up last night I think he's like top 10 in um pitches per plate appearance so that approach is still there but something is just missing at the end well he like a lot of hitters is taking a lot of pitches that are pretty much down the pipe with two strikes just a lot of fastballs that are right there that i don't know why they're guessing on three two counts but they are yeah, and they're he, taking these really hittable pitches it's very strange yeah and you can see him struggling with it like you see you'll see him wanting to pull the trigger and just holding up and oh, that's it it's it's very bizarre and it seems like to the untrained eye over here that a lot of the, the jays are just not quite ready to hit and i i know that sounds stupid but it's it's like they get up there they have a plan they work account they're they're looking at the pitcher they're looking at what he's doing but that just that instinctive that's my pitch it's not going off fast enough or soon enough or on their pitch. And I, I don't. I've, what I, is I, April? <laughs> yeah. That's not but it's, really it's not an, excuse. an excuse. They've been playing baseball since the beginning of March. Yeah. And, and uh, Jose Bautista, who hates to swing the bat, if you watch his swing rate versus everybody else in the league, still somehow manages to find the right pitches to hit on the screws. Um, and Josh Donaldson certainly doesn't need any excuses. And Michael Saunders looks fine. Mm-hmm. So, do, should they shuffle the groups in 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 batting practice or what? <laughs> uh, uh, it's really hard to say what's going on. I mean, a lot of people expected that the game against Chris Tillman would be the breakout, and for the beginning, it looked like it. Rip single from Saunders, rip double on the next pitch or next at bat from Donaldson, load the bases and only get another run on a yeah. walk to Justin Smoke. 
Well, yeah, obviously that's what you want to do with Justin Smoke. Yeah, <laughs> you want to lock him. I mean, they just they've they've gotten so many base runners on, and they just can't bring them in because they keep striking out or getting or that one game against Clay Buckles was like four double plays. It's just for whatever reason they can't get that big hit to blow a game open. The 2007 team did this, and they fired the hitting coach and. It turns out that it wasn't the hitting coach, that the hitters were just kind of trash on that team. Like, your best two hitters were Vernon Wells and Alex Rios. And maybe yeah, Matt which is Stairs. not a description of this team. No, that's exactly what I was about to say. Is it That made sense when you looked at the bigger picture at who you had hitting. But here, we know that this group of hitters shouldn't take much to come to life and score five, four, five, six runs on a regular basis and they just haven't done it so here we are all are scratching our heads and talking about it and and it we're back to it's april would we notice that (laughs) two weeks from now we'll be laughing at ourselves bookmark it folks (laughs) they're scoring nine runs of a game again yeah okay (laughs) i don't know i mean josh has doubts i do have doubts because the guys that are hitting are guys that we knew were going to hit well except for maybe encarnacion who's not quite alive yet but he just does this but there are legitimate question marks around Tulowitzki and russell martin and the, the, the smoke of platoon right i mean we don't really know what those guys are because Tulowitzki did have signs of not being as good last year even before he was traded but none of those signs line up to anything like there, there's no reason for Tulowitzki to have fallen off a cliff you can look at martin and say if he's beat up or if he's having he's had down seasons in the past he had a down season as a yankee and he's had surgery well he's had um hip problems on and off and he last year he's beat up by martin so he's got every excuse in the book but what's tula whiskey's excuse for falling off a cliff at 30 ish i'm I'm not saying he's going to hit 150 for the season i'm just saying that there's reason to doubt that he's going to be the guy who was contending for mvps in colorado i don't even think we want that guy at this point though of course well, we want that guy. What's wrong we with you? We want the guy, but I don't. I don't think we we we're. You're not leaning on that guy. You're you're hoping for him, but you're just hoping. You know, you, you get the occasional uh, double and dinger out of him, and he gets on base pretty much at at the above average rate that he should be getting on base. I mean, he's he literally is currently walking more than he ever has in his career, and striking out more than he ever has in his career. Yeah. I think anyway, we just got all, all the way weird. down the rabbit hole here. Yes, we really have. <laughs> all right. So uh, away from the rabbit hole, we are going to switch it up. We're going to talk to Shai Davidi about great moments in Blue Jays history because those are way more fun than whatever we just talked about now and the 3 or 4 road trip. We'll be back right after this with Shai. are joined today by Shai Davidi of Sportsnet and we're talking to Shai today about his new book The Big 50 Toronto Blue Jays. Welcome back to Artificial Turf Force, Shai. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you by. So you we talked way back in December and you had uh, just finished sending the book to the publisher I think and we said well when it's ready to go we'll have you back. So it's ready to go? 
It is. I actually uh, I got a shipment uh, of, of books just before I left for the road trip. I uh, managed to open it up and, and look through it, and uh, I was kind of nervous to open it. I just had horrific visions that something went wrong because I'm, <laughs> I'm panicky like that. Uh, but it was good. Uh, I, was, I was able to give a copy to John Lott and Mike Wilner, who, who both helped me out uh, with the book and with editing and proofing and stuff like that. So I was glad to be able to give them that and uh, be able to explore it a bit more thoroughly when I get home from this trip. I hope you sign both of their copies for them. I, I did, and uh, I should uh, I should have put a typo in the in, in the inscription <laughs> and said, "Hey, you guys can't you guys can't clean up everything." Uh, uh, so I guess the copy's back. I think you need to add that. Yeah, There's a little scribble mark. Um, so the first question, I guess, is why is was now the time to look at the the fifty greatest or I, however you decided on that number the the greatest moments in in Blue Jays history. Well, it, I guess the timing, in a sense, was uh, was good given that this is the 40th anniversary season. But uh, you know, this was a pub- publishing company, Triumph, approached me last summer at some point, maybe in Juneish, uh, about doing some sort of book uh, on the Toronto Blue Jays, and we went back and forth. Uh, for a while on a few different ideas and, and this was the one that we landed on and so this is a, a series that they're producing with uh, a bunch of other teams I believe is a San Francisco Giants one coming out this year too um, I'm curious to see um, what uh, Dan Brown ended up doing with that one uh, and, and just the format but that was the the idea and we kicked around um, we kicked around some different concepts, but you know, the, it's a probably it's a good time to to look at some back uh, on some of the greater moments and people in, in Blue Jays history because you know the last summer there were a lot of new fans who came to this team and you know I, we've spoken about this in the past about how there was a ge- there were a generation of fans that didn't know the Blue Jays as contenders um, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of good history for this team from uh, during the 1980s and in some ways and early 90s that in some ways has gotten lost and so this is an opportunity for the newer fans to maybe look back and 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 check out some of the history of the of the franchise so you said you started this conceptual at least back in june did the way things unfolded kind of blow up parts of what you expected to be writing I don't know that it blew up anything. I mean, it, the, the the 50 chapters, I mean, it's called the Big 50 because it's 50 chapters, each one on uh, either a person, a moment, or an achievement in Blue Jays history. Uh, the the list evolved uh, a, a little bit, and, and certain things came up higher, and certain things came up lower. And, uh, you know, there was an Alex Anthopoulos leaving chapter added uh, pretty uh, abruptly <laughs> at, the, at the end of October. Uh, so there, there were uh, quite a few things that, that changed, but nothing that really blew it up. And you know, I developed, I developed a list of probably about seventy or eighty different ideas uh, for inclusion in the book, and uh, I pulled a, a bunch of people. Uh, whose opinions I really value, you know, some people who worked with the Jays and, and have been around from, from right from the very beginning. Uh, you know, Jerry Howarth was a great help. You know, Bob Elliott, Scott MacArthur, uh, Wilner and, and Lott were, were, were great and, and, and lots of others too. So, uh, I was I was kind of lucky to be able to draw on a bunch of different people, and then you know sometimes I made a few decisions based on you know what I thought was important and, and something that I thought was was really worth including. Now, are the are the moments ranked one to fifty, or is it just fifty moments? It, it's supposed to be in order. Uh, 
and starting uh, the, the book goes starts at number one goes to 50 and so number one is the uh, the first world series championship uh and then you know i have the 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 93 World Series championship is number two, um, and then I have the 2015 season is number three, uh, just because I just think that that American League East title was so meaningful uh, when when you look back at just how things have played out since 93, uh, and then the the rankings proceed from there. And then that, what I did was I I created a series of what I called franchise icons and you know they're they're every five chapters in the book so you know Gillick's there and Alomar and Gaston and Carter Alomar uh, you know every, Halliday everyone Delgado everyone you'd expect uh, so uh, that, that's how I, I set it up and and I tried to move the move the rankings back and forth based on the the input that I got pretty cool pretty cool so this is not your first book. Uh, I guess it's your first book on your own, technically, because the other one I'm thinking of is Great Expectations, which was about the 2013 season that didn't quite turn out how anybody planned it, um, which you wrote with John Lott. Was was there a, a big difference in, in approaching this book or any challenges you had looking at, at, uh, at this kind of research that you you didn't have with Great Expectations? Well, the, there were some, it was different. Well, one, the, the season ended up being far busier because it was successful. So I didn't have as much time to put it together. You know, the Great Expectations was done. Uh, I think the, the final, like, proof and everything was sent to the printers maybe three or four days after the season ended in 2013. And, uh, you know, here uh, there were a, a few extensions uh, that were needed because uh, the Jays getting into the postseason. So I wasn't able to write as much of it as I'd hoped to, I wrote the, a good chunk of it in, in a, you know, just a nonstop blitz during November, uh, which was a bit of a challenge. But I, I managed to get a lot of the the news gathering done in season, and you know, some guys were were hard to were hard to track down. You know, Dave Steve, who doesn't give a lot of interviews, uh, called me back the day before it was due <laughs> at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> Um, and then no we, problem, we, Dave. <laughs> right. Hey, you know what? I'm thrilled that he called. I appreciate it. Um, and then we had a great conversation. Uh, it was a few hours of conversation. And then you know, during it, at one point, I was like, "Oh, if I'd known the conversation would have been this fun, I would have called you a long time ago." I was like, oh, my, <laughs> my deadline would have really appreciated that. <laughs> um, but you know, we were able to push back a few days. And uh, similar, to, you know, Tony Fernandez was busy with a few things, and then uh, he ended up. Uh, I got. I ended up getting an extension because of the uh, the Dave Steve interview, and then. And Ross Atkins gets hired as GM. And then Tony Fernandez ends up calling me back. I'd been trying to get him. And he ends up calling me back during the Ross Atkins news conference. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, this timing isn't ideal. So <laughs> and w- once that was finished, I sprinted upstairs to the press box at the Dome and, and uh, spoke with Tony. And then I rewrote that chapter while writing that Ross At- the Ross Atkins story that day. Um, so th- there were some uh, – it was, it was a challenge mostly because of just how busy everything was between the playoffs and the regular season and the trade deadline, everything that happened, uh, and then the, the, the turnover in the front office. So, so it made it a bit of an adventure to squeeze it in. Um, and I didn't, I didn't sleep very much for a couple months there. <laughs> well, I guess you can't really catch up now, but maybe this office. <laughs> no, no, all that sleep's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you mentioned, you know, talking to a couple of the players. 
Was there anything in your conversations with them that you found was really funny or really interesting, but you just knew you couldn't put it in a book that really kind of like, like does that bother you if that stuff comes up? That you mean like that? Uh, could it? No, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, Matt Stairs was great. He was. Um, I I wrote a chapter about the Canadian players, and I decided to focus on Matt Stairs. And and this is just kind of maybe one of my indulgences, but uh, he was one of my favorite players to cover. Uh, he was just he was just a lot of fun. I I really enjoyed watching him play too. You know, I just loved every at bat. It was it was an honest at bat. You know, he, he went up there and he wasn't trying he wasn't trying to fool around. He was trying to hit the ball as as hard as he humanly could over the wall. And you know, I, I appreciated that. Um, so I ended up focusing with him, and then uh, we ended up somehow talking about the. I brought. I always remember the incident. Do you guys remember the uh, uh, the ha game with Alex Rodriguez? Where well, he actually said mine, game. and somehow said he said ha. Yeah, well, he it, it, so, so the Jays said he said mine or something like that, but then he said that he just said ha, which I guess was the Jays' code for to back off a fly ball in the infield. Anyway, oh, so I. Yeah, exactly. Howie Clark and John McAllister. And so I remember that he hit in the bottom of the ninth after that inning, and he flew out or whatever. And as he was coming back to die, he circled super wide so he could run by A-Rod and, and tell him off on the field. Oh boy. <laughs> so I ended up I ended up talking to him about that and it just turned into it turned into a story about that and how you don't mess with Canadians and, and it just it was just kind of perfect, right? And so so the so the chapter was based on that and it was like he was very frank. He had some very interesting things to say that I think people are gonna uh, I w I, I wanna look wonder if he's gonna regret saying some of those things. <laughs> um, but it was it was great fun. Like and so those moments I really appreciate. I mean the the, the interviewing for this was so fun. Um, I mean, Lloyd Mosby is just—he's just amazing. You know, there should be a book just of Lloyd Mosby quotes because uh, he's so good. And uh, I think that part of it was fun because you know I was growing up when 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 these guys, a lot of these guys were playing that I was talking to, and so it's it was neat for me to kind of get a lot of the insight into what it was like and have a deeper understanding, and then kind of play that against my childhood memories. You talk about having a deeper understanding. I think that largely a, a you know quote unquote lifelong fan or a long term fan thinks that they know a lot of things about this team because there's only so many moments that are worth quote unquote repeating. Eighty five, the the collapse in eighty seven, the playoffs. The, you can sort of all fit those in your head. Thinking you knew a lot about the Blue Jays, was there something that really sort of blew your mind when you were talking to people or researching this book? Something that you went, I never thought that that actually happened, or I never thought that this person was involved that way? You know, I think the, I was looking at the, the Ron Fairley 8RBI game, uh, the one that uh, Edwin Encarnacion matched. You know, I just think about the, the 77 team and just what a mess it was right obviously <laughs> yep. it was an expansion club right um it, it's hard to it's hard to have an eight rbi game even if you're an elite guy um and then you know for ron Fairley, you had only a nice career but wasn't a superstar by any means i mean he's like an unlikely guy to have that kind of game and to have everything go right so little things like that i, I thought were were kind of neat and interesting and you know i was able to juxtapose and uh, when edwin Encarnacion had the eight rbi game i ended up juxtaposing the two against one another uh in a chapter 
And it's just, you know, you have Edwin Carnacion in the middle of a pennant race, and the Blue Jays are surging to the playoffs and hits three home runs, their hats on the ground, and then, you know, fairly just kind of one day pops, uh, drops an eight on, on the Yankees at Yankee Stadium in the middle of a go-nowhere season. Um, and so it, it, it was a nice, to me, that was a nice example of kind of where they were and where they got to. Um, and and just just how sometimes there's an element of randomness to to historic to history and to, and to big moments in the game. Yeah, That's well, cool. If anything, we know that there is randomness in baseball. If Trevor Story yeah. and everybody else of this this first <laughs> part of the season. Um, right. Now, we obviously some people who are listening are going to want to get their hands on the book. When can we do that? It uh, it will be in stores by May first, if not a bit earlier. Uh, and it, uh, there's a bit of a discount if it's pre-ordered online. It's uh, Indigo and Chapters. Uh, uh, sorry, Indigo and Amazon have it up right now. If uh, if people are interested, uh, and um, I'm going to be at a couple of the pitch talks events. So we're doing uh, a couple launch events May fifth and May eighth, I believe. If I have my dates right, um, and. Um, and there'll be I'll be at other pitch pitch talks events if anyone's coming down one of those and be able to get a book down there as well. Do you sign babies? Of course. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm happy. You know, it's weird. Like occasionally people like uh, will ask uh, will ask like Barry or myself and Hazel to to sign something, and every time they ask me, I'm like, Do you really want me to ruin this for you? Um, <laughs> Uh, but I'm glad to sign uh, books if anybody wants that. righty. So we'll leave the book for the moment. Um, there is a baseball team currently in the heat of a uh, regular season sitting at, uh, seven and seven or are they eight and seven, now? eight and seven, eight and seven as of last night. Um, but it's not exactly going the way they drew it up in terms of how they won the game. So just a, a couple questions. One of which is have things changed around the batting cage or in the clubhouse because some guys a couple of guys are off to a great start but there are a lot of hitters really struggling I don't know that anything's changed. I think that there's there's certainly some frustration that they haven't, you know, dropped double digits on anybody yet and you know that that's going to come uh but you know it's uh guys are grinding a little bit right now because they they aren't hitting like themselves and it's not just it's just one guy it's it's a few guys in the lineup so I think, I think from that point, uh, the, there is a little bit of frustration, the inevitable frustration that comes with a baseball season that has to be managed. At the same time, if you just think this offense is probably never going to be worse than this at any point during the season, uh, they're 8-7, and seven and their pitching staff has allowed three runs or fewer in 10 of the 15 games so far. Uh, you know, I think the Blue Jays will happily take that and, 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 and realize that it, it, there, there certainly is a lot of potential upside for them to, to moving forward if the offense gets into gear. And just sort of touching on that pitching staff, which you alluded to, the starters have been, well, aside from Ari Dickey, but it's April and that's the way he is. They've been awesome. The bullpen has been okay, but there was one guy in particular with Drew Storen. I'm wondering if you noticed in any of the post-game interviews or anything like that, if there's any worry about not his performance, but about the fact that his velocity is down about two and a half miles an hour from what he was doing in Washington. Yeah, you know, I don't know that that's... I think worry is, is is strong. I mean, it has been. He has given up runs in three of his six outings so far. Um, 
and it was a little bit of a nervous finish to his his first save uh, for the Blue Jays on no. uh, that, uh, was it Sunday in Boston or Monday in Boston. Monday. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 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 early in the season, but the days are already starting to all blend together. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know, you know, we, Brett Cecil had that a little bit last year, and uh, we we don't know Brett Stor- uh, Drew Storen enough to to think, okay, well maybe this is just part of his pattern or, or the way it goes. Uh, you know, I think if this continues into into May and, and June, and and that velocity drop still is, is there, at that point, I think it becomes a bit more of a of an issue that you have to look at. But right now, you just think, okay, well, it's possible that he's still doing some sort of build up and still gearing up and getting to full strength for the regular season, um, and. I think that's how you how you base your judgment, uh, at least at least right now. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I think that about does it for us. Uh, of course, we like to give you the opportunity once again to promote yourself on Twitter and wherever else. So obviously, at Sportsnet, you are at Shy Davidi on Twitter. I am. And, nope. uh I said last time, uh, last time I was going to get on Facebook. I still haven't done that yet, but I will be <laughs> at some point. So only a couple months. It's only a couple a, months. It's fine. It's we'll, no problem. We'll get there. <laughs> All right, Shai. Thank you once again for joining us. And, and we'll uh, be looking for your Lloyd Mosby book in 2017. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the Shaker. Be, I'll tell you, there, there, there would be some, some tremendous quotes and some tremendous sayings in that, in that book if, uh, if that ever happened. Good times. All right. Have a All good right. one. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Mr. Davidi, Good Times sounds like a fun book. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. You're you're a big it, uh are you are you a baseball book guy? No, actually, I'm not. No. I no, I used to. Be. <laughs> I was when I was younger. I read a lot of biographies and things like that, but now most of the time when I read it's fiction. But I'm just curious to see I like Davidi's writing and I'm curious to see what ranks where. I'm also curious to see the franchise icons he picked out and what he what he dug up about them because it sounded like he had some interesting chats with them. Yeah, I agree. All right. I am actually a baseball book person. You so are? I'm, yeah, I'll add this one to the collection. Good idea. All right, there you good go. Good idea. We'll have you do the book review. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Your book yep. report is due on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the Wednesday after the book is available in stores. All right, so we have listener questions uh, as we enjoy them uh we are we gonna start with luke does that make sense sounds good all right luke uh pound sign pay jose or at spork v underscore asks once travis returns which is looking to be soonish question mark does he take the second base job back chris to you i think you'll see first hmm you uh, think Darwin Barney's headed for the hills and that Ryan Goins keeps his um, his important bat in the lineup? <laughs> important bat, yes. <laughs> I, I think what will happen is that when Travis comes back, he'll play a good month in the minor leagues. And if he's hitting the way he's been hitting in the minors, he's going to come up and take the job. He'll still sit sometimes against tough righties. You know, Sonny Gray, apparently Chris Tillman. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, I think that Travis will take it back. It's just unless going starts hitting, I you know, there's just no reason not to. I, I would tend to agree just because there's there was nothing suspect about Devin Travis's defense. And honestly, Wasn't there? That, I, I have yet to see anything great. fantastic from Ryan Goins this year, as apparently his glove has a bouncy part in it. Um, you guys are awfully harsh on this team's 16 games thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I don't know. At least, if we're going to talk about a guy with bouncy parts in his glove, at least the ball's not going through it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even touch on that, did we? Oh, my no. goodness. It's happened twice. Or rather, to two different players. We could talk Wilson about past loves. balls if you um, like. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That, that's the bouncy part. Um, I think no, Ryan Goins is still a much better defender than Devin Travis. But the thing is, Devin Travis is still fine. It's not like Devin Travis is bad there, right? And it, right. With, with the offensive upgrade, you kind of have to do it. What I think as well. But we shall see. Uh, next question. What do you got? Okay, this one comes from Brian A. At Big B Senior. But, oh, by the way, before we get onto that one, I love how you read, you read Luke's question. You said, pound sign, pay Jose. <laughs> Showing your age there, Greg. <laughs> it's a button on the phone that you hit the pound sign to. Anyway. Yes. Um, I refuse to believe that. Uh, anyway, that that's a hashtag. <laughs> yes. Anyways, here's the question. Based on what we've seen so far, Who's the MVP of the starting rotation at season's end? Ooh, that's a a deep question. Based on what we've seen so far, the answer is Aaron Sanchez. If you want to literally (laughs) go based on what we've seen so far. But Um, taking it to the logical conclusion, what do you think from what you've seen? What does that tell you? And then make a guess. My personal guess is still Aaron Sanchez. All right. He's he's been dominant. He hasn't had the bad start or bad inning that everybody else has had. Um, and his stuff is, it, it plays just as well as it played in the bullpen. So far, so good. We might find a team that can't figure, or figures him out sooner or later, and we'll see. Chris? I, you know, I got to stick with Sanchez, too. I got to stick with my guy. I've been defending him for four years now. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to say that we're unanimous on this one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, he's what a turn, now. by the way, from Greg since the last podcast when he specifically said that the best guy was Strowman. Um, yeah, he probably and, and Strowman he, went on through a gem. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, like, absolutely. Except, except for uh, right at the end of his gem, he, he gave up a home run. Did he not? He keeps he, he keeps lowering the ERA as the game goes on, and then just before he leaves, either he leaves runners on or he lets lets one fly, and it's like, damn. I have no problem with Marcus Stroman if he makes a liar out of me here, to be honest. He's the he's the only other guy who I would think would would make the full season MVP. I, I, I like Marco Estrada. I just don't think the MVP so is the word you throw around. Now, really, the answer sh- to this question should have been Jay Happ. He went from two runs in six to <laughs> one run in six to one run in seven. So by the end of the season, he's just going to be throwing shutouts. <laughs> <laughs> Extra inning uh, shutouts as it goes on, apparently. Jay Arietta, as, yeah. as we say. Uh, uh, next question is... No, that's the last question. Oh, next question is also from Brian, big CR. Colabello, WTF, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. 
technically it is a question. Uh, yeah, uh, Chris. What's think... up, Chris Colabello? <laughs> you know, all year last year, I claimed to be a believer. <laughs> wow. Even this season. But uh, has he got a hit yet? One, maybe two? He has some hits. He's not hitting yeah. zero. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> he does not have the Babup gods on his side. He did not pay them off this off season. No, he's not two yet. for 29. Ooh. Yeah, it's been really rough. Both little singles. <laughs> it's going to be better than that. Oh, yeah. If, if he I, lasts. I mean, last, last year he had a ton of luck on his side, and there's no arguing that. But at the same time, he still hit for some power, too. I mean, he hit 15 home runs in 360 plate appearances. Yeah, and he hit a lot of line drives when he was hitting. Yeah, so, I mean, there's still talent there. Absolutely. Ask Bobby Tewksbury. That's his. We, yeah. Have we mentioned well, Tewksbury I mean, before on this podcast? I'm assuming we have. I don't. I don't know. I mean, the, the Bobby Tewksbury's recent pupils are not exactly lighting up the scoreboard. Pilar Goins. <laughs> oh, the methods are not for everyone, apparently. Uh, Turns out yeah. hitting is hard. Yeah. What What do you know? That's That's like our big takeaway from this podcast. Yeah. Right. We have another I'll ask one for, for Christopher here. Okay. This is from David Shemmy. This is a bizarre question. If all players involved in the Dickey trade retired today, would you still have done the trade? Well, I would have never done the trade to begin with, so this isn't a fair question to ask me. But, but I mean, but what does this matter? Like, yeah, if they're retired I, today, who cares? <laughs> what difference does it make? I mean, I guess you could say that the answer would be no because you could have traded them later or they could have used the money. But if they are retired today, it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> We're going to blame that one on the 140 character limit, you think? Maybe. <laughs> there was there was some subtle valuation. Well, if there was some meaning there that we don't see, I don't know where it is. Hit us up next week, Mr. Shemmy. We'll try that one again. Because <laughs> I'm sure Noah Syndergaard will still be good next week, which I think is part of your point. Uh, our final question, which is from Mike, our good friend, uh, at go sends go. He said, can Josh explain spin rate properly on the next <laughs> podcast? There was so some then, before you start, explain why pop. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was some discussion of spin rate on the broadcast tonight, uh, which was teed up really nicely by Buck and apparently mangled to death by Pat Tabler. Um, so this is an opportunity for you to maybe clarify what the heck he should have said when it was teed up. Cause spin right, rate. Well, I'm going to do this same. in two parts. First, I'm just going to do a basic spin rate primer. So spin, the way the ball spins determines how it interacts with the air and therefore determines whether, how it moves in Estrada's case, his ball spins a lot. So there's air currents that are pushing the ball up so it doesn't fall. Or in the case of his curveball, pushing it down so it does fall. Faster. Yes, exactly, at a greater rate. Now, spin rate, is become, it was such a big thing with him last year. I mean, I wrote about it a couple times. They wrote about ESPN, fan graphs, baseball respect. Everyone wrote about it because it was like, what the heck is Marco Estrada doing? But just in general, these people are treating as though spin rate, a high spin rate is all that matters. It doesn't. Mar 
Marcus Stroman's sinker has one of the lowest spin rates in baseball. His spin rate is about the same as a knuckleball at times. Because in his case, he's throwing a fastball, but he wants it to drop. So if the ball is spinning less, it'll fall faster. So, you know, high spin doesn't necessarily mean good. It just can. Now, this now the specific question that Buck asked was... <laughs> I, I, I sense your blood anger. pressure. <laughs> Maybe elevated blood pressure. Little bit. Yes, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But Buck basically said... What uh, a big deal has been made, or Marco Estrada, when talking about this, was talking about his balls having four-seam spin. And how does that affect his, his ability to get guys out? Great question. Tabler. <laughs> how many times was it, Chris? How many did they Three like, times. He can really spin the ball? He can really spin the baseball. Three times he said it in his explanation. Yeah, he just kept talking about he can really spin the baseball. It, uh, you know, it's like the perceived speed speed is higher because of his spin rate, and you know that's why guys can't catch up to those high fastballs. Nothing to do with the question. Should I put my loud buzzer sound effect in here at some point in the edit? Would you? Like no, that? no, I, I think I can keep this G rated. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean the the you've got the answer wrong buzzer from every game show ever. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well. I, Let's just keep that for every time Pat Tabler's name is mentioned on this on this podcast. <laughs> okay, first off, perceived speed or velocity when they're talking about that, they're referring to where you release the ball from, not how fast it's spinning. Technically, that can have a minor effect, but that's not what they're talking about. Like Carter Caps, his perceived velocity is 105 because he throws it from like eight feet clo- closer to the plate. The answer that should have been given. I'm really roundabout because I'm just fired up about this because it was driving me nuts. So just misinforming the public. The four-seam spin on Estrada's fastball is the same spin as his changeup, which is the same spin only reversed in direction as his curveball. So by all the balls spinning top or back, almost straight up or straight down, hitters can't see a difference. And that's why they swing over the, the curveball or swing above the fastball. He even talked about this to me, that he was towing with a sinker, but he doesn't want to throw it because the ball won't spin four-seam and hitters will be able to pick it up. It's just the complete inability to understand the nuance of a question was just, I was losing my mind. I'm also- because they're trying to answer a question that really is important to the viewers to understand why is this guy doing so well? Go- and they just blew it. <laughs> Would you Again. like good news? Yes. I think I showed this to you, but I sent a tweet to Jonah Carey, who has recently joined the Sportsnet crew. And I said, have you talked about spin rate on Sportsnet yet? <laughs> and he said, no, that's a good idea. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Dan Brooks from Brooks Baseball, who curates a website that looks at pitch FX data, said, hey, you should talk about and gave him a tip, and then referred him to Alan Nathan, who talked to us last year about effective spin, gyro spin, and a bunch of other things. So, Joni Carey currently has every opportunity to nail this whenever they give him a pre-game segment about spin. Yeah, and, and that's a good point, about the effective spin and gyro spin. Not all spin is good. Not all spin is anything at all, actually, when you learn about gyro spin, which is fascinating. Yeah, if the ball is spinning like a bullet, it's just gonna, the ball's not going to do anything. Pretty groovy. So, yeah. there's a lot to learn, and Pat Tabler should probably be attending the class first. 
yeah. think is the idea here. But it, but yeah, just to put down a, ba- a basic recap, is like the two things that really matter are the spin rate and the spin angle. You can't what, one without the other is meaningless. It's just pretty simple. Yeah. It's like great, his ball spinning a lot, but what does that mean? It doesn't do anything. Estrada's ball spins straight backwards at a high rate, so it stays up. Stroman's ball spins almost completely horizontally at a low rate, so it drops. Hey, don't get don't get too simple here. People might think they can go out and do all this stuff themselves. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think we have uh, explained spin. I think in, so, in quite an amusing way. All right, we have as our last mo- uh, feature a do-over from Bob McCowan on Primetime Sports. The Bobcat making his artificial turf wars debut. Yes. I got to say, the Bobcat, um, in my mind, is famous for acting like he doesn't really give a crap about a single thing that he talks about. But it occurred to me on this clip that maybe he he really, really, in actual fact, does not pay attention to anything he talks about. So here he is talking to Greg Zahn about Blue Jay minor league pitcher. Sort Jeff of. Hoffman is inarguably the next of the Blue Jays' young pitchers who has not yet arrived. He has been impressive, even some have suggested beyond impressive. Uh, how long... What do you do with Hoffman? He's, he's pitching at Buffalo. How, how long do you want to leave him there if he continues to do well? Any, anybody that, that pitches in the minor leagues for me, I don't care who they are, they should pitch a full season at every level. So that was Greg Zahn answering his question. There's a lot and of so, things wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> now, Greg Zahn, I, 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 I'm guessing he was sort of like, I don't remember this, so I'm just going to answer this question the most generally as possible because Jeff Hoffman's not of the Blue Jays. <laughs> Um. Yeah, Jeff Hoffman hasn't been on the Blue Jays since Troy Tulowitzki showed up. Was it? Was he? Yeah, he was part of the Tulowitzki trade. Yes. Yes, he was. So he went with Reyes and Castro to Colorado. Bob McCowan on his show has talked about the Tulowitzki trade probably a thousand times. Just because over the offseason he was on the whole should we trade Tulowitzki talk, and they kept talking about the return. So. He specifically stated that he had... Okay, he's talking about a pitcher, though, that has only been in the minor leagues, is really impressive... And is, and like, is, the next the big thing. And is currently pitching in Buffalo. Yeah, okay, but before you go to the next part, one <laughs> sec. I won't. I love how it's, like, he's pitching in Buffalo. Like, he, the guy's not even on the team, and he, he said a specific minor league assignment. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Somehow... That he's pitching in, but I—that's just yes. weird. Anyway. He's confident, yes. so we'll go so with at the end. Sorry, at the end of the clip, we get this. I think one just detail there. You you mentioned Hoffman. I think you meant Hutchison. Hoffman, of course, went with Reyes to Colorado of in course. the Tulo deal. I did. You miss you misspoke. Of Rogers, course, Roger Clemens would say you misremember. <laughs> well, I just wondered like how long. You know, when 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 do you make that decision? Yeah, when do you make that decision to say, okay, I want to see this guy? Okay, so there's still want to see this guy. (laughs) There's still things wrong here. I don't don't know exactly what happened, 
that Drew Hutchison is unfamiliar to the Bobcat at this point. <laughs> like the entire year he spent, year plus he spent starting for the Blue Jays. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no wanting to see this guy. They know what they have in Drew Hutchison. So that's not who he's talking about. No. I think he meant Connor Green. That's Who is in Dunedin. And nowhere near the big leagues or <laughs> Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, I, or actually, no, I really think he meant Jeff Hoffman. and He just completely forgot that he talked about him 50 times as being traded. Because Bobcat doesn't. I, I honestly believe he doesn't care. Yeah, Rashman Denny tried to give him a do-over, and he did it wrong. <laughs> Arash was so tiptoe there. The tone of his voice. Like, I don't want to make you sound dumb, but I can't think of a way that this doesn't come out that you sound really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think Zahn actually knew, because he's talked about Hoffman a bunch as well, but Zahn didn't want to call him out in the middle of the question. So he just did the general, here's how you should treat minor leaguers, which... It was actually reasonably informative. We didn't play the whole clip because, well, we're not primetime sports. Fair enough. But I, I yeah. will give Zahn a pass because he's getting thrown questions. And when he gets a weird one, he's just going to let it go. But I'm not going to give McCowan a pass. That's why he's on the nope. do-over segment. <laughs> Doesn't deserve one. <laughs> so, Bobcat, if you would like to come on and explain that you just plain didn't remember and don't care who the latest greatest blue jays minor leaguers are these days that's okay we're perfectly willing to give you a do-over on that and never mention it again <laughs> yeah oh. i should call into his show friday tomorrow excuse me we'd like to give you a do-over for artificial <laughs> turf wars <laughs> just see what he says but he also would have no clue what that is he might even think jeff hoffman is a member of artificial turf wars uh, <laughs> Oh, so we come to the part of the program where I start to wind things up, and I usually do that by giving you an opportunity for a final thought. I believe Chris has left us. No, I'm here. Oh, he's back. Sorry. Uh, you got real, real quiet there. I was starting to worry that Skype had done horrible things to you. <laughs> My young child needed a FaceTime with his dad. Sorry, guys. Aww. <laughs> and all these stories I have about you like attending a Dead Mouse concert in Sweden last week because and that's why you couldn't why you couldn't go to you didn't make it. All that out the window for something real cute. Uh do you have a final thought this week, Chris? I do you know, we touched on it a little bit there when I was talking about the Boston game, but uh I I think I tweeted it out just how amazing it is to be this excited about baseball in April. Because, I mean, besides just baseball, I'm talking about Blue Jays baseball. Like, being this into it, this, you know, dedicated on the, you know, edge of our seats every single game. I know you guys think it's torturous, and, and it is, but it's incredibly <laughs> exciting for me. And apparently not you guys, but whatever. It's my final thought. <laughs> Good okay. and fair. Josh, what do you got? Uh, interesting note from Gregor Chisholm. He was talking to Gibbons about how they're going to handle the innings, or not innings, but the workload cap for Sanchez and Stroman. And they're going to potentially go to a sixth starter on occasion. Going to be awkward when they try and call up Jeff Hoffman. <laughs> well done. Nice callback. I was actually going to go call back to Drew Hutchison. It's also going to be awkward if he keeps pitching like he's pitching in Buffalo. That's true. <laughs> But I think it'll be him. Although, guess who's back? 
Oh, Fausto, uh, Fausto Carmona. He's <laughs> just not himself anymore. Um, all right. <laughs> My, that was really good. <laughs> My final thought is uh, congratulations to Jake Arietta, who threw his second no-hitter in less than one calendar year tonight uh, behind a 16 to nothing effort from his, uh, his club. So, Arietta, you left the scumbag city of Baltimore and remade yourself. Good on you. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. It was like the most one-sided game ever. <laughs> the final score was what, 16 nothing? Yeah. yeah. RIP Reds. Not, yeah, the, they actually the, the two no-hitters in a calendar year has happened recently. Homer uh, Bailey. Homer did. Bailey, yeah. Yeah. It still doesn't make it any less impressive. No, no it doesn't. <laughs> All right. So, that means that you have been Josh Housem and Chris Sherwin and I have been Greg Wisniewski. Our guest this week was Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. And this was Artificial Turf Wars Episode 8. We will talk to you next week. Next week.